Welcome back to the show. Julian DeStoop sitting in for Dwayne Russell. Big final hour coming up. And there is so much going on in the world of football at the moment. The Matildas, the A-League, the Premier League, the Ballon d'Or was decided overnight. And, of course, most most importantly, Tottenham atop of the English Premier League. To, to discuss it all, Simon Hill, host of the Global Game, of course, 8 p.m. tonight across the SEN Network, joins me. Hello, Simon. Hello, Jules. How are you, mate? I'm very well. Let's start with the Matildas. Uh, you know, not not unexpected, the, the dominant performance the other day, but uh, just in the last 24 hours, I guess they're going to have this Olympic qualifier uh, early next year. We'd love to see it at one of the huge venues around Australia, whether it's the MCG or a core or, or Suncorp Stadium, but unfortunately it looks like a couple of world superstars that are singing around the same time might deny us that. <laughs> There you go. That's why we need football stadiums, huh? <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, look, you know they're, they're the biggest ticket in town at the moment. It's understandable that uh, you know they want to make hay while the sun shines and make a bit of money as well uh, and get as many people in the stadiums as is possible. Uh, personally, and you know my preferences on this, I don't like us playing at oval stadiums. Yep. Uh, the sight lines aren't great. The pitches aren't always great, uh, particularly if you've got uh, you know world singing stars that are. Uh, on that mm. uh, surface, you know, some hours beforehand. Um, and, you know, it's it's my opinion that we should be using this as a sport to say, you know, what about some of our own facilities, um, which we have precious little of. But, you know, that, that's, that's a, a longer, bigger picture term argument. Uh, in terms of how the team's going, both on and off the field, uh, it's terrific. And um, you're right that the Philippines and Iran and, Chinese Taipei tomorrow, not not you know the highest quality opposition, but you can only beat what's in front of you, and they've they've done that quite comfortably so far over there in WA. Should we not underestimate that crowd in WA though? I mean, nearly sixty thousand. You know, it's not the most high profile opposition that the Matildas are playing now. I don't know about you, but I couldn't see the Socceroos getting sixty thousand for an Olympic qualifier against that sort of opposition. So should we not undersell what sort of an amazing turnout that is? Oh, nobody's underselling it. Um, but let me remind you, in 2006, uh, when Australia were about to go to the World mm. Cup in Germany for the first time in 32 years, and the Socceroos were the nation's darlings, 96,000 turned up to watch a friendly against Greece at the MCG. Yep. So, you know, th- th- this, uh, and this is what I, I talk about when I, uh, I talk about the bigger picture. Um, you know, that, that was a long time ago now, but... The game didn't capitalise upon that, and they, they are fleeting moments in time. Now, at the moment, we're living in that. So everybody's saying, oh, just, just played at the biggest stadiums possible. Well, what about the longer-term mm. effects for the game? And this is where we have to capitalise as a sport. Now, I want to I want to draw people's attention. We're going to talk about this on the Global Game tonight. 100,000 people in total this week will watch three Matildas games in WA, which is absolutely brilliant. Three sellout stadiums. Now, last week, Perth Glory played an A-League women's game in the same city and 1,450 people mm. turned up. There's the disconnect. Yep. So, you know, we have to find solutions to that as a sport. And part of that is building identity for our clubs. And building identity means building homes, building permanence as much as anything else, building that place of worship like Anfield, like Old Trafford, like White Hart Lane like the Emirates, like the Bernabeu, uh, you know, like the Allianz Arena in Munich, where people go, 
that's the home of that club. And I want to go there because that's my sporting cathedral mm. every couple of weeks. We don't have that in this country for our code of football. And when we get big moments like the game against the Philippines or that tramway for the Socceroos against Greece 20 odd years ago, we uh, go and play at an AFL stadium or a cricket venue. And then everybody goes, oh, isn't that brilliant? And then five years later, it's all forgotten. So this is what I'm talking about yeah. in terms of the long term uh, impact for the game. And Ange Postacoglis said this only last week. Uh, you know, they'll build, he said, I'll guarantee now all this hype and football will be left with nothing at the end of it. And that's my fear. Mm. Yeah, that completely understandable. I mean, the, the Matildas have got so many star names now in your net. You can see them playing around, you know, in the best clubs around the world. Our men. Don't have that at the moment, but just watching the A-League in the first couple of weeks, I mean, three teenagers scored for Adelaide the other day. There was a lot of players under 21 getting on the score sheet and having really good performances on the weekend. How excited are you about this next generation of future Socceroos that might be coming through the A-League at the moment? Well, again, Jules, I've been excited for the last two Mm. years. You know, over the last two off-seasons, we have sold, as a league, 32 players to clubs in Europe. Um... And a lot of them are playing, okay, not necessarily in the Premier League, which everybody seems to judge uh, football here against, which is completely unfair. Mm. But they are playing in some of the top leagues of Europe. So we have been producing good talent now for quite some time. Now, we had eight debutants at the weekend. Hopefully some of those are going to go on uh, to be big stars, not just for their clubs here, but ultimately in Europe and for the national teams. But we've got a good league here. The perception is, is that it's rubbish. And that's the problem. Um, because we don't have enough people going to watch it on a day-to-day, on a week-to-week basis, or watching on TV. So we deal in stereotypes, which unfortunately are reinforced by a lot of the mainstream media. Uh, and they will, you know, every few weeks when the Matildas or the Socceroos play, they will get on board and then very quickly jump off it. But in terms of the overall picture, the football uh, competitions here in Australia are are pretty healthy. It's just off the field where we're missing that connection. And, uh, you know, obviously that's incumbent upon people like me who work in the media to try and help correct that message a little bit. But the game's got to do its bit as well. Yeah, I was going to say, is uh, the game doing enough? Is the the A-Leagues doing enough to promote the good parts of the sport? no. Why, why not? Why not? Because it's been a criticism well, against them for years that they, they haven't done that. Well, look, partly they don't have the money to be able to do that. And partly there is a cultural disconnect because a lot of the mainstream media don't want it. Um, you know, you have big media players in this country who are invested in other sports. Now, they're not stupid enough to go against the national teams because they know what sort of backlash they would get if they went against the Matildas or the Socceroos. But the A-League is, is a very convenient sort of whipping boy or whipping girl, if you want to talk about the, the women's competition. Uh, it can be safely ignored and uh, disparaged. And yet, you know, when we get to a point where there are crowd problems or a flare is let off, all of a sudden, they're all over it. Funny, that. Simon Hill, host of the Global Game, uh, joins us. You can listen to the show tonight, 8, across, eight o'clock across the SEN network. Just on the pitch uh, in the A-League, uh, amazing weekend. It's been a... Fascinating start to the season. You've got City, uh, Sydney, and Central Coast. Zip, zip, zip. Is there early mm. concerns for those three or far too early to be too concerned? 
Uh, look, it is a bit early, but I, I think there are certainly warning signs there uh, for, for some of them. Um, Melbourne City have gone through a very big off-season rebuild because they've lost a lot of talent that have won three consecutive premierships. Geordie Boss, Aidan O'Neill, Tom Glover, uh, Marco Tilio, Richard Van der Ven. You know, they've lost half a team. Um, similarly with the Mariners, uh, Sammy Silvera, Jason Cummings, um, Benny and Cololo, Maresh, you know, the Nectar Triantis, that they've lost, lost half the team that, that won the championship last year. So, of course, there's going to be a bit of a betting in process. And that's before you could take into account the fact they've lost Nick Montgomery with the architects, you know, their coach last season. So it is going to take a while for them to settle down. Um, I, I don't really have too many fears for all the three that you mentioned. Uh, maybe Sydney a little bit more because, you know, they won the Australia Cup in pre-season and we thought they'd, you know, they'd settled into to their new uh, playing system. But uh, there's, you know, they're a big club and there's a lot of attention on them. So, uh, but but generally, this, this happens a lot in the A-League. Uh, successful teams tend to lose a lot of players and they have to rebuild. And, uh, you know, all that takes time, unfortunately. Ballon d'Or decided uh, overnight. Another fantastic performance from Sam Kerr, second after being third and third mm-hmm. the last couple of years. Lionel Messi winning for or well, extending his record. He's won it eight times now. Right result, or is the big Norwegian from Manchester City who just banged in 52 and 53 games a little bit stiff? Well, as a City fan, I probably think he's a bit stiff. But, uh, you know, he won pretty much everything that he could win last season. But unfortunately, he didn't win the World Cup, which is you know clearly why Messi's got the nod. Tough for him to do that uh, when his maybe. country doesn't make it, isn't it? Well, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, it's not Erling Haaland's fault. But, uh, yeah, I can understand why Messi got that vote. It, it might, it's probably going to be the last time he wins it because, obviously, now he's playing over in the States with Inter-Miami. Um, but you know when you when you've had such an impact on the game as Messi has for almost two decades now, and you win the World Cup, um, which is the crowning glory, then it's it's it would be a bit churlish to say it's unfair. Mm. But uh, you know Erling Haaland's only 22. He's got another 10 years to win a Ballon d'Or, and I'm sure he will do. Yeah, 32 goals and 25 assists across 55 games for Lionel Messi, including seven goals uh, in the World Cup. Onto the Premier League. Uh, seems to be rinse and repeat at Manchester United. Off-field unstable, performances on the pitch underwhelming, and pressure building on the manager. Where's it going to end for Eric Ten Hag, do you think? Well, if it carries on like this, it'll only end in one way, which is the sack, which is unfortunate because I, I don't necessarily think that all the blame can be put at his door. You know, Manchester United is a a club that has been in decline for a long time, probably a decade since Sir Alex Ferguson left. And Ten Hag is trying to put in place the building blocks. Uh, I'm not saying he's done everything correctly or that all his signings or all his selections have been, you know, right on the money. And he was unfortunate at the weekend that he, he came up against what is, you know, undisputably the, the top club in world football at the moment, which is Manchester City. And they absolutely pantsed United, to be quite honest. It could have been six or seven. So th- there's a long way to go for United, but I tend to think that their structural problems as a club will not be fixed until the Glazers mm. sell the club, which it looked like they were going to do. But for whatever reason, they've backtracked on that. Um, and I think whilst that discontent is there, and by extension, probably the lack of investment in a lot of things, training ground, stadium, players, uh, those problems are going to continue. 
So Spurs, 10 games in, still undefeated Ange Postacoglu. Looking ahead, say in another 10 games time, when we're getting just past the halfway mark of the season, do you still think Tottenham are good enough to be in right in a title race? Well, look, at the moment, you have to say yes, um, because, you know, they're flying and uh, they're playing good football. They, they seem to be pretty solid defensively. Uh, Romero and Van der Ven are a good central pairing, which has been, you know, one of Spurs' issues in the past. They've always been able to score goals, but they've uh, they've always been a bit leaky at the other end. So Ange appears to have, you know, fixed both issues, whilst at the same time cashing in on Harry Kane, which I actually think has been a good thing for Tottenham. Uh, because the focus was on him a mm. lot. And, you know, similar scenario with Cristiano Ronaldo at Manchester United 12 months ago. Uh, sometimes it's, it's got to be about the team effort rather than the individual. But there is a long way to go. Um, and, you know, injuries, loss of form, uh, the plethora of games around the, the, the two big busy periods, Christmas and Easter. You know, Ange won't, is not stupid. He knows that, uh, you know, there, there's going to be a title race. His aim, I think, is to be in it. And if he finishes top four, obviously he'll want to win it. But if he finishes top four, there'll be a legend at Tottenham, and particularly if he wins a trophy as well, because they haven't won one since 2008. So uh, they're loving it at the moment, and rightly so. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see what they do in January. They're still around the mark. Now, as a football lover and an Englishman, when I say this name to you, what's your reaction? Jude Bellingham. <laughs> yeah, he's a gun, isn't he? He's phenomenal. Um, yeah. And he's, he's going to be a star for many, many years to come. I mean, he's still only very young. And the fact that Real Madrid were prepared to invest well over 100 million euros in his services to bring him from Borussia Dortmund tells you everything. And he hasn't disappointed. And the one thing I like about him most, apart from his undoubted ability, is his temperament. He doesn't appear to be, appear to be phased by much. Um, and he just keeps on delivering. He can score goals. He can set them up. He can link play. He can tackle. He can do pretty much everything. And, um, you know, hopefully, as an Englishman, he wins us a World Cup or helps us win a World Cup before I pop my clogs. <laughs> well, Kane and Bellingham, you've got a good combination uh, at the moment. Hey, just on uh, great English footballers, did you get right into the David Beckham documentary? Have you seen it? And what was yeah, your thoughts? Yeah, I watched it. Yeah, I thought it was very good, to be honest. Um, it, it, one thing that struck me... I'd, you know, David Beckham, obviously a global superstar, is a great footballer. I don't necessarily think he's, he's a hugely interesting character, but it, uh, things have happened to him. You know, he's had an interesting life because of the things that have happened to him. And I, I particularly admired the way he dealt with the opprobrium that he received after the red card in the World Cup in 1998. I was around in England. Yeah, it was horrendous what days. he got. And it was horrific. Uh, and he dealt with it brilliantly. Um, so yeah, full of admiration for him, and uh, it was it was a very interesting documentary, albeit you know a little bit conservative in places, but that's because it was his company that was making it. So yeah. that's the way it is in the media these days. Have you thought with David Beckham, was he underrated at times as a footballer because of how big a global phenomenon he was, or do you feel sometimes he was overrated as a footballer because of the global <laughs> phenomenon he was? Yeah, probably a bit of both, to be honest. I mean, he was he was a very, very good footballer. Was he one of the top five or ten of all time? Was he no, world-class he at the time? He was world-class. Yes, There's no I doubt agree. about that. Um, and, he, he, you know, he's fitted into being one of those Galacticos at Real Madrid, which told you just how good he was. 
But was he Pele or Maradona mm. or Messi? No, he wasn't. But he was very, very good in his generation. And, uh, you know, you don't win 100-plus caps for your country and play for clubs like Man United, Real Madrid, AC Milan, Paris Saint-Germain if you're not a very, very top footballer. And he was. Just finally, A-League action this weekend, uh, Simon. Uh, always a big game when uh, Melbourne Victory take on Adelaide. They've both made tremendous starts to the season. We've got to mention Bruno Fornaroli at 36 years of age, scoring a Rabona and four goals in the first half. Uh, yeah. who, who do you like in this one uh, on the weekend? Difficult to pick, isn't it? Um, you know, I think Adelaide have surprised a few people in the first couple of rounds. I know there was a bit of discontent around their fan base after the, the loss of Craig Goodwin and... Mm. Not many new signings coming in, but they've got a crop of brilliant young kids. Uh, and victory look reborn this season after their troubles last year. Uh, Fauna Rolli, as you rightly say, looks fit and hungry. It reminds me, not exactly the same sort of player, but reminds me in terms of his drive of Bessart Barisha in his heyday, um, playing up top for victory. So, yeah, it'll be a fascinating clash. And Absolutely what, fascinating. And before I let you go, what do we can we look forward to on the global game tonight? Uh, so we got Lockie Brook coming on from Western Sydney mm. Wanderers, who, who scored a couple of uh, uh, the red and black uh, weekend. One of them, absolutely brilliant goal. Uh, we'll talk about the Matildas, uh, of course, and and their win over the Philippines and the big crowds, uh, and all our usual Spencer Pryor on the Premier League, Paul Williams, Football Asia, and uh, no doubt lots more talking points besides. What can we expect from the Matildas tomorrow night? Given Philippines beat Chinese Taipei and we knocked them off eight zip, I'm not sure what sort of lineup Tony Gustafsson will play, but should we expect another thumping? I think you can expect a win. <laughs> I hope so. Um, yeah, I would imagine it would be a big margin of victory, put it that way. I think you're right. <laughs> Absolutely another packed house. Uh, Simon, so much to enjoy in the world of football internationally and domestically. At the moment, we look forward to the global game tonight. Thanks for your time. Cheers. Thanks, Jules. Simon Hill, host of the Global Game. You can catch it tonight at 8 o'clock across the SEN network. Plenty more to come on Dwayne's World after the break.